with another episode of Stream Overload. We made it to the second episode. <laughs> we have indeed. My name is George Austin, the cynical critic, and with me is my good friend Ananya. Hi all, I'm Ananya Bhatt, and I love torturing my friends. Okay, and of course we have our third host, probably the least important IO. <laughs> Just here. I mean, come on. Oh wow, okay. Great intro, guys. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ayamika Nadakairo, a current sleep-deprived entertainment journalist. So, please enlighten us, Ayo. Tell us, what have you got planned for us today? So, of course, last week we had our little intro to the series, looking at how the pandemic affected streaming. In this episode, we'll be talking more about another important development within streaming that is the increase in streaming services options but to kick the conversation off we're going to take a look at one of my streaming survey interviews to recap in case you missed the last episode io is conducting a survey alongside this podcast to see the streaming habits of those within the uk each week io interviews one of the candidates in the survey to get a deeper insight into the data Ayo, I hear today's guest doesn't actually use streaming a lot? Yes, I thought it would be quite a contrast to have him as a guest when we're talking about having loads of options. Jason Chow, uh, my good friend, only uses Netflix and he does so rarely. I'm now being joined by Jason Chow. He is here to talk to me about his streaming habits yeah i think that i do like streaming stuff i do like watching shows and i do want to watch falcon and the winter soldier and also wandavision but i've just felt that i've been very busy with uni work and things like that and i know that if i do start streaming i'll be i'll go down the rabbit hole where i will be stuck and i will need to stream the whole thing until its completion and that could be quite inefficient and quite a waste of time. So I know that there are a lot of shows that are very, very good that I haven't even watched yet. For example, on Netflix, there could be Queen's Gambit I haven't watched yet. I haven't watched uh, Sex Education, I think. I haven't watched Narcos. I haven't watched Suits. I haven't watched all these different shows. And I know they're good. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I haven't watched Breaking Bad. None of those shows. And I know they're good. But as soon as I know I start, I'll need to watch it again. I'm a, I'm a big... Like, I need to binge. I can't do one episode a week sort of thing. So that is sort of why I haven't really streamed myself or, or anything like that. I just feel like I've had a, a good enough willpower to not start a show uh, because once I start, I won't have the willpower to stop and not finish it. I honestly envy your like self-control. <laughs> I don't think I could just like go cold turkey and like put off watching something. In terms of you saying there's like a lot of these shows which you've watched and you uh, that you know are good but you haven't watched yet, do you think this makes you feeling left out in terms of communicating with your friends? Uh, a little bit. I, I do think a little bit because I feel like quite a lot of conversations are about what you have watched before, what's your opinion of the show and and sort of it's quite it's, it's a good conversation stuff like have you watched this have you watched that and I'm quite often like no I haven't because I just haven't watched it so I do feel like I miss out a little bit in that sense but you know I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit too far gone as well so you know I, I will eventually catch up on a few shows here and there some of the popular ones but I definitely won't be like a seasoned veteran who's watched pretty much everything on Netflix or something like that. Thank you Jason for speaking to me today and I guess we'll head back to the studio. I 
think I, I very much agree with you there in the sense that uh, I envy his ability, you know, his, his willpower to, to not start watching stuff for the fear that you're just not going to be able to stop watching it. That's definitely a very good skill to have. And it's one that I do not have. I do not have that self-control. But I mean, uh, I think it's interesting only having access to one streaming service. I think that's a couple of years ago. I think that would have been fine. But obviously now with all these different services available, I think it's become much, much weirder to see someone only have one streaming service. Yeah, I, I agree. Because first of all, that's really plausible having that willpower to not want to just keep binging especially when you're watching like the things with a lot of episodes like how does this guy not binge watch like you're like you're sitting at home with, with like your tv or your laptop with so many episodes and nothing but time and you don't feel the need to press play next episode wow imagine that <laughs> yeah, I've known Jason since sixth form and he's always been the kind of person who's very work focused, which I've always envied. I don't even know how he does it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all these options that are really taking up much of the time. The three of us all have Disney Plus, Netflix and Amazon Prime all at the same time. A lot of people nowadays don't just have like one streaming service, they normally have two or three. They can catch up with the options because there's always exclusives for each of them. There's a lot more monopolies going on at the moment, whereas before Netflix kind of had the monopoly over the streaming thing, that's kind of become a lesser thing. Yeah, and I agree with what George said, like earlier, having one streaming service would have been fine. Like if we just had Netflix and nothing else, it would be normal. But now everyone seems to have all of these things because there's some shows that are on Disney Plus that are like many, many shows that are on Disney Plus and movies that aren't there on Netflix. What is popular kind of changes every now and again. Disney Plus, I think much more recently over like the last few months has become much more popular to like get because of Marvel shows such as WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And now it has Star as well, where it has lots of more um, TV shows which is coming on from there. So I think it's becoming more popular. But then there's also HBO Max, which kind of has been there but not really that big but since like dc have capitalized on that and i'm bringing in the Watchmen, the snyder cut you know a lot more people are going towards hbo max i think it's interesting because i think maybe this is just my personal opinion on things that netflix i think is losing ground fast i think it's falling out underneath them the big monopoly that they once had with obviously all of these is bound to to disappear, but I think their general, the, the general shows and films that they have on there, I think are definitely lacking perhaps the creativity and the popularity that Disney Plus shows have. And, you know, in, in this case, all the new HBO Max things and even the things like Apple TV have got some good things, some good exclusive things that are made solely for them. But Netflix, I think the, the staple for Netflix for a long, long time, and I think still is, is probably Stranger Things. I think that's where its big first exclusive came from. And I think it's probably still the most popular. But I think mm -hmm. for me, that's the only thing tying me to Netflix. Whenever, whenever another season when Stranger Things comes out, that's why that's the only reason I have Netflix. I don't really use it for anything else. So I think, you know, 
I think the original might be the one I lose with the other two. I mean, even Amazon Prime has all those terrible ones that I seem to love watching so much. Only yesterday <laughs> we watched Poseidon Rex and the incredible film of Who Killed Captain Alex. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant masterpiece that was. Is absolutely hilarious. The funding model of how Netflix works is that it it is making a loss and it's been making a loss for years. And the whole thing is that they were going to make a loss until enough people were subscribing to Netflix and they could raise the price enough so that they would start to make a profit or at least like make even. But because we have all these other streaming services, of course, Netflix can't really make that profit or make that even because more people are turning away and also if they up the price it will probably push away their customers which actually brings me along to something that Jason mentioned in the interview where he was saying that he borrows his Netflix account which could be under threat. Netflix for a long time has said that they would crack down on shared accounts in a move to get them more streamers and persuade more people to buy accounts instead of sharing them with their friends and now more recently viewers are getting a message to confirm they live with the account owner what do you think do you think this is like a good way to kind of force more people to get on their streaming service i don't know i think i don't see really if you're really dead set on not paying for netflix and using your friend's account what's stopping your friend from sending you the code I mean, how does that fix anything? They haven't solved the problem there. If people are really desperate to, to go and just use their friend's account, it won't stop them. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm all for supporting, you know, the law and being a law-abiding citizen. Don't get me wrong there. I'm not a criminal. But, like, what if you're using your ex's account? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> then, okay, that's fair enough. I think you might get found out there. You asked for, for, for what we think of this, and I think it's actually just going to drive more people away. Mm. I don't think it's going to yeah. give them more streamers. I think if people are, are dead set on this on this idea that, okay, listen, if you don't, if this isn't your account, you can't use it. If you don't live in the same house as this person, you can't use it. Go subscribe to it. Go give us your money on your own. And for many people, that's just not an option. I think the real problem with this is that this would work if Netflix still had its monopoly, but that sort of monopoly is kind of dipping at the moment. Therefore, if this put if this happens only for Netflix and not for other streaming services such as Disney Plus and HBO Max, what's to stop people saying, well, HBO Max and Disney Plus give me a better deal. Maybe I'll just cancel this one and go straight over to them. I think what's really keeping Netflix alive at the moment is kind of the pandemic i feel over the pandemic netflix has really thrived which is a weird thing to say in terms of the content they're putting out it's it's been a lot more regular than other streaming services new content earlier this year netflix basically advertised how it was going to release a film every single month showed like a bunch of the films that they were going to do. And it's really trying to push that, oh yeah, we have so much new content, keep on catching up with new content. And it's lots of random content. So it's not just the boring Netflix, typical teen 
drums they're also doing more serious films they have musicals available there was Malcolm and Marie with Zendaya and John Washington and also Bridgerton was such a big hit as well in December which like no one saw coming it just came out and I think it's the biggest show or it has had the biggest audience ever for Netflix and that was just one show out of nowhere in the middle of December the problem is once things start to lesser down at Disney Plus, HBO Max, Amazon Prime can start putting out content as well. How much Netflix can compete with that, especially since it's making a massive loss. I just think it's interesting that they pump so much money into these, you know, Netflix originals, but they don't have the money to do it. So I don't know where they're getting this money from. They're making, they're losing money, but they keep throwing money at these originals in the hopes that it's going to work. So much of their TV shows just get cancelled after one season because they're making a loss and they can't justify making a loss on another season, which is a bit annoying because they get us hyped for these TV shows. They just drop it. Daybreak, which I absolutely adore, and I hate that they didn't give it a second season. The Society. um, Sensei. Although Sensei had a couple of seasons before they dropped it. I understand, of course, not all TV shows get to live on, but I wish they had a better plan how long this content will last and not just on viewership. Yeah, there, there was this, also another show uh, called Everything Sucks, and it was really interesting, but they dropped it after one season. I really actually like that show. I think you carried out another interview for this episode, is that right? Yes, so the backstory behind the name of the podcast comes from a theory called Overchoice or Choice Overload. It's a theory currently being looked into, but the gist of it is that whilst having many options seems like a good thing, it could overwhelm a person and thus either paralyse them or make them regret the decision they make. Overall, too much choice could make people unhappy rather than satisfied. I talked to Dr. Benjamin Scheibehenna about this theory. He is a professor of consumer behaviour and he explained why this theory isn't easily applicable to real life and to streaming. The idea or the hypothesis of choice overload suggests that people face negative consequences if they have too many options to choose from. And negative consequences in that context typically refers to a lower satisfaction with what you end up choosing or a lower probability of making any choice so that you are in a sense paralyzed by having too many interesting positive alternatives. And this is an interesting hypothesis because it contradicts many theories in economics, according to which more options should make you better off because you have a higher chance of finding something that you like, of finding a better option. There is a few studies that found empirical evidence for choice overload. In these experiments, people were provided with different numbers of options. And um, in some cases, people were indeed less likely to choose any option or buy any option, or if they did a choice, they were less satisfied with it. There is, however, also a lot of research that found no such effect or the opposite. So the more choice is better effect. And it is an ongoing discussion as to when and why 
more options might make you worse off. My perspective on this is that there may be sometimes situations where this choice overload effect occurs, but those would be rare exceptions. In most cases, in real world uh, environments, people seem to be quite capable with uh, dealing and navigating large assortments. Thank you. I was wondering if you have an idea of how choice overload might impact on picking streaming services and if multiple options could lead to audiences subscribing more than they should or even need to. Yeah. So I think this is a very nice example. In the old days, there was a linear television, and then maybe there was a, a video rental store at the corner, and the selection was somewhat limited. And this has, of course, changed uh, quite a bit through streaming services, Netflix and alike. So there is an ever-increasing number of productions, and there is also access to the whole backlog of pretty much any movie that has ever been made. And so... What is interesting, I think, from a marketing perspective is that streaming services compete based on the number of movies or series, the amount of content that they make available. And this is fairly robust finding in research that consumers like to have choice. So if you uh, ask people, what to choose between two streaming services, chances are they will choose the service that has more options uh, available. So in the context of streaming uh, services, that would suggest that if you go, let's say, on Netflix and you choose to watch a movie out of, let's say, a million different movies that you could choose from, you would like the movie less as compared to if Netflix or a competing service would only offer a hundred movies. And why would that be the case? It could be that there is something going on that um, economists refer to opportunity costs. Opportunity costs are costs that would have occurred if you had chosen something else. So if there is a certain sense of let's say, regret that the second best show on that uh, streaming service is almost as good as the one you watched, then perhaps that lingers in the back of your head. And then you wonder whether there may have been something that is even better, for example. Uh, so there could be a possible explanation, but of course it all um, depends on whether this effect occurs or not. And so just to, to repeat, from a marketing perspective or from the perspective of these streaming services, these companies, they seem to be well advised to offer lots of options because that drives the competition. I was also just reading this article about choice overload on uh, streaming services and there's different techniques that different streaming services use. Like, for example, some of them use big franchises and celebrities to win over fans. Also, familiarity. For example, most of us only have Netflix because we know it for so long and we've just had it for so long. We're paying for the subscription because, because we are just doing it for so long. Why stop now? And if you think about it, 
like you said, the pandemic is what's fueling Netflix currently. Otherwise, most of us would not have invested in this every month. I think the, I think the only reason I still have Netflix is because I can't be bothered to cancel it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Although Netflix does have good content every now and again, it's just so rare. There's the Umbrella Academy, which is really good. They have a few really good Netflix originals. It's just within the mass of blah, which is really annoying. Within the turd that is Netflix, <laughs> there are some nuggets. Yes. <laughs> within any turd, there is nuggets. Exactly. If you all know, that's a fact. You. <laughs> Please, if you're listening, don't take that literally. Don't go looking for them, okay? Uh, I'd like to point out now we're not going to be held responsible. <laughs> we do not pro- promote looking for nuggets and turds. Disgusting, so bad. Oh my gosh. I think when I feel choice overload the most is when picking films because I always want to pick the perfect film if you get what I mean so I I know I won't always pick the perfect film and there's times to watch different things later and while I was researching this I think a good theory which they came up with Dr Barry Schwartz one of the people who wrote a lot about this about the paradox of choice said that people should focus more about picking a good enough option rather than picking the perfect option because then you'll be satisfied that at least it's good enough rather than it being perfect but yeah I think I think with a tv show whilst it's difficult to to pick choice uh, to you know to pick from what all of them that are out there i think usually by the first episode or the second episode you can gauge whether or not you're going to enjoy it and tv shows aren't nearly as long as films but films you only really know if you're going to enjoy it once you've seen it obviously in some cases if it's so bad in the first 10 minutes then you can give up on it but i mean to watch a film is a long investment and i think that's why we get so picky with our options because it's an hour, it's an hour and a half of your life that you won't get back that you have to enjoy. So. Let's be real, you're the one that's really picky with films. <laughs> well, okay, I'm picky in a different sense that I I nitpick through films. But, I mean, I'm not picky with the films. I mean, <laughs> I watched Who Killed Captain Alex yesterday at ten o'clock at night with my housemates. So you know. In a blanket fort of all things. So, you know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure I'm picky, but maybe I just have a slightly different taste in film compared to everyone else. Maybe I deliberately enjoy the terrible ones. I think, Nanya, you mentioned on our podcast group chat earlier that there was this new feature on Netflix where you shuffle pick different films. Um, were you able to test that out? It was a feature when I was back home in India. I did see it and I have Netflix on my TV and it showed it over there. I couldn't really find it on my laptop over here. It is a feature which I actually think is quite cool. I tried it out in it back, at, back at home and it's called Let Us Pick Something For You. This is based off the TV shows you like, uh, like you've rated with a thumbs up and also things on your list. 
or like the things you've already watched. And I have friends who've tried it out and they find really interesting things because of it. There was one time, because like I like thrillers and stuff like that, I was given a show that, a, a movie that I didn't very much enjoy. And like George said, it's an hour and a half of my time, which I cannot get back. Yeah. So I really did not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's why, I think that's where this choice overload thing comes from. I think it's, mm. they're so long, you have to be sure that you watch something that you're going to enjoy. I think yeah. that's where, that's why people get so hung up trying to choose something from all this choice. Whilst if you had one streaming service and they had like two films on it and you had to pick from, you could only watch one of them and they're both equally terrible. You watch one of them, you don't enjoy it. But I mean, it's because you don't, you know, you have the choice, but it doesn't matter. You, you, you try and pick the best of them anyway. And when you scale that up, you end up with all these things that are terrible. Some of them which are less terrible than others and some that are good, but it's trying to sift through it all and pick the one that you go, yeah, okay, I will spend an hour or two hours sat here doing nothing for the rest of the day other than watching this film. It's just a last thing that I use this technique sometimes if I really want to find a movie to watch. I take an actor that I feel like has been in multiple films that I like, and I look up this actor and whatever shows up for them, I watch one of those movies. It's a technique, it's my own version of shuffle and choose. <laughs> I think when researching, this theory as well. The issue some people have when deciding things is all about the information they have. So if you don't really know what you're deciding on, what's the difference between different features, therefore you might find it hard to choose. But once you have more and more information, you can have an informed choice, which makes it easier to make a decision rather than having this choice overload. And the same can apply to films, I think, and streaming services. So with films, if you know a certain film has been a Camden Ward winner, like Ananya said, it has some of your favourite actors in it, you will know, okay, maybe I should watch this. Whereas if you have no idea what this film is going to be, no one's ever talked about it before, you haven't really, you don't really know what you're going to expect. It might find it harder to like choose between different films or when you have more information, it's easier. And in terms of streaming services, when you know a bit more about each of the content and when Ananya was saying how celebrity or familiarity in terms of that, when you have information like that, that makes it kind of easier to decide what to choose. And I think a lot of it, when it comes to this choice, it's kind of a bit less about you are more about what the public enjoys in a sense because if you think about it you want to be able to talk about these tv shows and films with your friends or with your family or just in general so like we said last week a big thing about wandavision is that we could all discuss it we could all the whole world was talking about it and therefore you can have felt part of a community. So when it comes to streaming services, you want to pick the ones which you know has content or will have content, which a lot of people will be talking about and your friends will be talking about and you can kind of have that community aspect with them. Anyway, I think we have perhaps prolonged this for long enough. I think there's no getting away from it anymore. We've tried and it's not worked and think this is going to become a staple of this podcast it's time to talk about the challenges that we set Woo! 
Okay, I'm actually very excited about listening to George complain. Like, I'm so looking forward to this. Like, I love how it's I not. Swear. I'm not excited to see how he does the challenge. I'm excited to see him complain. I want yeah. to see how hard it was. Because <laughs> you have the most creative criticism I have ever seen, and I appreciate it so much. <laughs> well, there you go. That's. I think that that sums me up quite well. Is the uh, is this my thing did earlier? Is the the cynical critic? I think that's. Yeah. yeah. Why aren't you doing film reviews and I becoming a critic? I don't understand. It's my too God. taxing on my soul. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd go crazy. <laughs> I think I probably would. Anyway, each week the three of us set each other a challenge uh, to change our streaming habits or something along those lines. So whether that's watch a film or watch a genre that we don't particularly like. This way we can properly look at the perks of each streaming service from different angles. So with that very brief explanation done, I think I'll go ahead and explain my challenge to Io. So my challenge this week for Io was I gave him some terrible films to go and watch, only to find out that one of them isn't available and one of them is five minutes, and I'll tell you both. But anyway, I had Io go and watch In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, not the director's cut. Should have gotten to watch the director's cut, but I didn't. Codename Cos. That's not available, unfortunately, but that was at the very bottom of IMDb's rating list, which is why that one went on there. Our Rain, which was just a confusing from what I can remember of it. Nazi Sharks, which unfortunately was only five minutes long. And Titanic 2, which I'm interested to know about because, you know, Titanic 2, the sequel, not entirely sure how that, how that, how that works. But anyway, I'm interested to hear how you got on with it. Okay, I don't think... I understand they were the bottom of INDB, but apart from Nazi Shark, which doesn't deserve the title of being a film, the rest of them weren't that bad. They weren't good. I'm not saying they were good in any sense of the word, but they were terrible. If you were bored and you were with a group of friends, you just wanted to put something on to watch or just by yourself, In the Name of the King and Blood Rain aren't too bad of show. In the Name of the King, Dungeon Siege is a fantasy film based off a video game. So there's actually a game called Dungeon Siege and this is the um, a film version of it. This is back when video game adaptations were terrible. So a lot of this film is like trying to act like it was really, really clever, but it wasn't. This felt like an action fantasy film without the budget. Because they spent it all on actors such as Jason Statham and there were a few other actors which you probably have seen in other films and action films. It sounded like they spent all their budget on the actors and nothing else because the costumes of the grog. But the grog basically looks like a downgraded version of the faceless hordes from Suicide Squad. If they weren't made out of CGI, that's what the GOG were. And it's just really weird that you were going to do a fantasy world which needs this kind of CGI stuff, and then you just made the ROG look very much like they were just wearing a costume rather than use CGI to make it look real. They look like humans in costume. Also, the film is so much longer than it needs to be. If I was in this film, I would cut 
at least half of the middle chunk because there was so much weight it was just going on and there was no need to the battlefield scenes were just so long and it didn't need to be that long and what's annoying is this isn't even the final version there's both the director's cut which is 2036 and also a version which um the director said you'll bowl um which is meant to be three hours long which wasn't even released i don't even want to know what was in the three hour version because just two hours of this film felt like it was too long so i don't know what was left out on the chopping board which you felt was needed i don't know next up we have blood rain which while the first one was a uh, fantasy this was vampires sort of um fantasy thing so with this woman who's called blood rain who is the anti-vampire i think she's called a damp fire but basically her ability she has the same ability as a vampire but she's half human half vampire and she was made to kill all the vampires that were living in there this one had a better budget i think because it was definitely more realistic well not realistic but more you can see they the costumes weren't bad yeah i kind of like this film i think i enjoyed this the best out of all the three of them except for the weird sex scene that came out of nowhere apparently this film had lots of drama with the actual script to the of the film not only did the director give the scriptwriter a very short time to complete it, when she did give over the first script, this was meant to be the first draft, and she assumed there would be more drafts in order to make it better. But then the director was like, okay, we're just going to run with this first draft and not try to make it any better, which is probably why it's very clunky. They also rewrote many bits of the things while on set so not only did he was like oh yeah i'm not gonna give you a second chance to rewrite this script i'm also gonna rewrite most of it to the point that it wasn't really the exact same film as she wrote then i watched nazi shark which was not a film and i i it's not a film <laughs> it, it was six minutes so i'm good it wasn't a full film but in those six minutes I, I felt like I wasted so much time of my life in those six minutes. I would watch Fan Fanforstic. I would watch the Fantastic Four reboot again over having to watch this film. I would watch the Sidecar over this. I would waste four hours of my life just so I didn't want to watch six minutes of it. And finally, Titanic 2, which I don't think I wrote much notes for apart from they clearly didn't have the cgi on it it was just boring and i found it annoying that they kept referencing the first titanic like oh it's not gonna happen again we've made preparations of it oh gosh it's happening again what should we do oh gosh it's happening again first of all why would you go on a boat which is called titanic 2 if you know the story of what happened in the first titanic why would you be the first people to go on the second one I would stray far away from going on anything which has the word Titanic in it. Anyway, so my challenge for Ananya was kind of big. I, I knew she kind of liked musicals, but I didn't know to what extent. So I decided to force her into musical genre, but not musical films, musical TV shows. She had to watch at least five 
different TV shows, not all of like the episodes, that would have been too long, but at least an episode from five different TV shows from the musical genre. And apparently this wasn't too bad for her, which is annoying. I kind of want to torture her, but we move. I watched Hannah Montana. <laughs> I watched Victorious Lee High School Musical, the musical. High School Musical, the musical, the series. Yeah, the, the series, yes. Also, I watched this one show, which I actually think was very interesting, called Encore, like Encore. To begin with, I was a bit like nervous about this challenge because musicals are fine, like as long as they're a movie. And these shows, they just don't end. Like the music doesn't stop. Like <laughs> it's 40 minutes, they're singing, dancing, and you watch the next episode. Guess what? They're doing the same thing. They're singing and dancing. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Like their life is... Imagine if we lived like that. Like, oh. I wish. So yes. No, a musical... No. Living a life in a musical would be so cool. <laughs> My favorite one out of these ones that I watched was this show called Encore. It was really interesting, especially considering, you know, some people were like prom queens and some people were like the underdogs. And they meet these people after 20 years, all of them, and they still dislike each other. It, it was, some of these people were so petty, but it was, it was really entertaining. Like, I, I like this concept in general. Then Hannah Montana and Victorious. Hannah Montana, I, I like because I watched it a lot as a child. Like, it was always on my TV. You know, I came back from school, put the TV on. This was it. Hannah Montana brought back a lot of memories. And Victorious... I've never actually watched it. I've heard a lot of people saying, like, uh, talking about Victorious. I've never actually watched it. Personally, I, I think when if I was younger and I watched it, I probably would have enjoyed it, but it's not for me now. So I watched Victorious. Then I watched High School Musical, the musical. I could not watch more than one episode of that not very good thing. <laughs> I, um, I want to use a swear word, but I won't but I would like to compare it to fecal matter. It was so, mm, why does it exist? This was the, the one thing which really made me feel challenged by this challenge. <sighs> Glee, Glee. This show is, oh, okay, I'm sorry. If any of the listeners actually enjoy Glee, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and there's how many seasons of that stuff? I think it's like four or five seasons. Four or five seasons. You hear me? Seasons. Like, people were actually paying attention and watching this fecal matter. Also, one last point. It ruined all the songs I like. George's challenge was to watch an entire season called Love is Blind. This is basically a social experiment sort of situation where people don't really see each other's faces but George will elaborate on this hopefully it's a reality tv show and a dating show might I say I I watched this in the beginning of lockdown because that's when it came out I think it came out around the early time of lockdown last year and I remember watching it with my friends back when I was in school. It really brought our friend group together because we were just hating on all of these people together. And I would like to ask George to start his complaints now. Oh no. Where to begin with Love is Blind? It's 
okay. Well, I mean, and then you specifically asked me to take a look at two people in particular, and they, they were Jessica and Amber, if you wanted to know my opinions on those. So I've written paragraphs about each of them. It's a show, a, a social experiment based around this idea that you have to propose to someone who you can't see, and you have to get a connection with them on an emotional level, and then once you propose to that person, then you can see them. The entire premise of Love is Blind seems to go completely out the window within the first five days of shooting this because they all meet each other so immediately they have lost the only unique thing to this show the unique premise that was is love blind you won't know because you won't meet the person you then meet them within five days and that's it and then you get to go on all expenses paid holiday kind of seems to negate the point of it but okay it's now just a boring dating show jessica is one of the people that we're introduced to and there's like this weird love triangle thing at the beginning jessica just seems to me like a pretentious person there was a word in there but i won't use it um <laughs> she's she's playing two people at once and whilst i can understand that that's kind of the point of the show to me it just seems like a terrible thing to try and do to people and then we go on to amber and i just put i suppose at least she's honest with herself she likes to brag herself she likes to brag about herself a lot but she's nowhere near as, as bad as Jessica is, in my opinion. I got the impression from Amber that she's in this for a good time, not a long time kind of thing. She's in this fun, not for the serious long-term relationship. She seems to forget completely about this emotional and personality side of things. The moment she meets, you know, her, her man in real life, it's immediately all about the sex. That's all it is. It's just about the sex and the looks and that's it all the personality and emotional stuff that they got through at the beginning goes completely out the window and it's never mentioned again she's also in a lot of makeup debt right she's also in a she's got 700 dollars of makeup debt and she doesn't have a stable job and she's got twenty thousand dollars of debt from going to university that she didn't even she dropped out of yeah so she's not exactly financially stable that's not for but me to judge that's her Barnett life. likes what Barnett likes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> she, she also doesn't give her dog wine, which is a major positive, because there's a scene in which Jessica just has a glass of wine, puts it down, and her dog takes a lick of the wine, and she brings it back up again and drinks from the same glass. <laughs> that's, that's Jessica. And the guy she's talking to, Mark, doesn't bat an eye. He's like, yeah, that's normal. Lies. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no. <laughs> I, I made a note. That's episode six, if anyone wants to go and look at that. That's episode <laughs> six. Uh, that's also where the, or I have appropriately written the show should now be called Mark is Blind. Because <laughs> he just straight up missed that. It's also, there are so many good things that come from just that episode alone. It's, uh, they, they have this deep emotional conversation, uh, Mark and Jessica together. And, and, um, and he says, he says about how he's emotionally available and stuff. And she says, she says, guys who are emotionally available are, are, are a really big red flag for me. She gives her dog wine. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure you could be any more hypocritical than that. So, sorry. 
stable people is a red flag for her. It's a red flag for her, and she gives her dog wine. And Mark's like, "Yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, I can see you being married to this woman for the rest of my life." But in short, to me, these shows just seem like legal emotional torture. Like, why? I don't understand why people would go on these things because you either end up completely emotionally scarred for life and having your heart broken on TV or whatever it is. Or there's a very small chance that you end up in a happy relationship at the end. I mean, your chances aren't stacked with you. Everything is stacked against you here. I don't understand why people put themselves through this. They don't even get paid a whole lot to do this. So I really don't see the draw. But I mean, anyway, as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, this show is absolutely terrible. I would not recommend this to anyone. But again, maybe that's just because I'm cynical and I have a heart of stone and I don't care about luck. I don't know. Either of those is up there. But I kind of get your reproaches against reality shows, especially Love is Blind. I've watched a few reality shows, but I can't put myself to watch ones which are like overly lovey because I will always think it's faking some way or the other and it just seems bad. I was convinced that these people were actors. I didn't think they were real people. I thought they were just actors. They all have the same personality and they all fall they all fall within the same stereotypes of beauty. All the men are handsome, they all go to the gym, you know, all this kind of stuff. They're all well shaven. All the women uh, you know, care about their hair, all about their makeup, they're very slim, you know, mm. all of this stuff. There's so much cleavage in this show, it's ridiculous. I mean, like, if there's something about love is blind when they're all revealed to each other you don't you know for many people it it doesn't matter there's nobody here that falls outside the normal stereotypes Mm. they all fall in love with beautiful people i think the the people who created the show really missed the point that you know that this was they've completely gone round it but that's what's a really big problem with reality shows firstly they have very little diversity in terms of both skin colour and also just like body diversity. It's normally very thin, athletic people. But then if they do attempt to have that diversity, you may get backlash from fans who actually insult those people who don't look like the typical way form sort of thing, which obviously is going to be bad on them when they get out of whatever their fingers and they can actually see everyone's comments which is all going to be toxic and everyone at once as well as that um it's going to be bad so they're stuck in this catch-22 about it Mm. and about all reality tv shows there's this really good drama series which i've kind of used as my um parameter of like insider of reality tv show called unreal which is essentially about the people the producers who make dating reality tv shows and a lot of what we see on camera is kind of produced in a way as in it's not them acting but the producers obviously make it look a certain way or kind of tell them certain things in order to do sort of stuff so now when I watch reality tv shows I always have this like reproach like is this a natural way of they doing it or have they produced this in a way to make it more entertaining to feel that drama and Mm -hmm. 
do things and it really shows like the toxicity of the reality industry i think reality shows should be renamed not so reality shows because it's yeah anything but real like i said i think this is supposed to be a cheery thing but i think we brought up an interesting topic here and i think a very important topic that i think needs to be addressed obviously it's not going to be fixed by us but i mean it needs to be brought up and it needs to be people need to be aware that reality tv shows are anything but reality and these Mm -hmm. things are painful Mm -hmm. for people to go on these shows are terrible and i'm not going to pretend i enjoyed this because i didn't it's not fun um you know i think the only good thing about the show is the ending seeing them all some of them are happy in in relationships others have moved on and i think that's the best thing anyway that that's my challenge and i think uh I think that's probably a good way to end it. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep going on and on yeah. and on. I, I think this is the perfect place for us to stop before it gets any darker. <laughs> we can't go on forever. Um, well, thank you for tuning in and listening this far. Yeah, join us next week for more streaming talk and hopefully a, a lighter talk as well. <laughs> Interesting interviews, fun games, and uh, obviously the challenge that will be a stable. Hopefully... I will get a nicer one next time. But regardless, this is a goodbye from Ayo. Cheerio. <laughs> okay. Goodbye from George. Yeah, I'm I'm not doing that. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the next episode of Stream Overload.